Part One of Chapter One of Animal Ghosts. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. Animal Ghosts or Animal Hauntings and the Hereafter by Elliot O'Donnell. Preface if human beings with all their vices have a future life assuredly animals who in character so often equal nay excel human beings have a future life also those who in the scriptures find a key to all things can find nothing in them to confute this argument there is no saying of christ that justifies one in supposing that man is the only being whose existence extends beyond the grave Granted, however, merely for the sake of argument, that we have some ground for the denial of a future existence for animals, consider the injustice such a denial would involve. Take, for example, the case of the horse. Harming no one, and without thought of reward, it toils for man all its life, and when too old to work, it is put to death without even the compensation of a well-earned rest. But if compensation be God's law, as I for one believe it to be, then surely the Creator, whose chief claim to our respect and veneration lies in the fact that he is just and merciful, will take good care of that horse. The patient, gentle, never complaining horse is well compensated, compensated in a golden hereafter. Consider again the case of another of our four-footed friends, the dog the faithful, affectionate, obedient, and forgiving dog, the dog who is so often called upon to stand all sorts of rough treatment, and is shot or poisoned, if provoked beyond endurance. He at last rounds on his persecutors and bites. And the cat, the timid, peaceful cat, who is mauled, and all but pulled in two by cruel children and beaten to a jelly when in sheer agony and fright it scratches reflect again on the cow and the sheep fed only to supply our wants shouted at and kicked if when nearly scared out of their senses they wander off the track and pole axed or done to death in some equally atrocious manner when the sickening demand for flesh food is at its height and yet you say these innocent unoffending and i say martyred animals are to have no future no compensation monstrous absurd it is an effrontery to common sense philosophy anything everything it is a damned lie damned bigotry damned nonsense the whole animal world will live again and it will be man spoilt presumptuous degenerate man who will not participate in another life unless he very much improves think well over this you who preach the gospel of man's preeminence you who prate of god and know nothing whatsoever about him the horse dog cat even the wild animals whose vices, perchance, pale beside your own, may go to heaven before you. The supreme architect is neither a Nero, nor a Stuart, nor a clown. He will recompense all who deserve recompense, be they great or small, biped or quadruped. 
It is to testify to a future existence for animals and to create a wider interest in it that I have undertaken to compile this book, and my object, I think, can best be achieved in my own way, the way of the investigator of haunted places. The mere fact that there are manifestations of dead people, pardon the paradox, proves some kind of life after death for human beings, and happily the same proof is available with regard a future life for animals. Indeed, there are as many animal phantasms as human, perhaps more. Hence, if the human being lives again, so do his dumb friends. Be comforted then, you who love your pets and have been kind to them. You will see them all again on the soft, undying pasture lands of your Elysium and theirs. Be warned, you, you who have despised animals and have been cruel to them. Who knows but that, in your future life, you may be as they are now, in subjection. Elliot O'Donnell Chapter 1. Cats in opening this volume on animals and their associations with the unknown, I will commence with a case of hauntings in the old manor house at Oxenby. My informant was a Mrs. Hartnell, whom I can see in mind's eye as distinctly as if I were looking at her now. Hers was a personality that no lapse of time, nothing could efface, a personality that made itself felt on boys of all temperaments. Most of all, of course, on those who, like myself, were highly strung and sensitive. She was a classical mistress at Ells, the then well-known dame school in Clifton, where for three years, prior to migrating to a public school, I was well-grounded in all the mysticisms of Kennedy's Latin primer and Smith's first Greek principia. I doubt if she got anything more than a very small salary governesses in those days were shockingly remunerated and i know poor soul she had to work monstrously hard drumming latin and greek into heads as thick as ours was no easy task but there were times when the excessive tension on the nerves proving too much mrs hartnell stole a little relaxation when she allowed herself to chat with us and even to smile heavens those smiles and when I can feel the tingling of my pulses at the bare mention of it, she spoke about herself, stated she had once been young, a declaration so astounding, so utterly beyond our comprehension, that we were rendered quite speechless, and told us anecdotes. Of many of her narratives I have no recollection, but one or two, which interested me more than the rest, are almost as fresh in my mind as when recounted, the one that appealed to me most, which I have every reason to believe is absolutely true, is as follows. I give it as nearly as I can in her own somewhat stilted style. Up to the age of nineteen, I resided with my parents in the manor house, Oxenby. It was an old building, dating back, I believe, to the reign of Edward the Sixth, and had originally served as residence of noble families. Built or rather faced with split flints and edged and buttressed with cut gray stone it had a majestic though very gloomy appearance and seen from afar resembled nothing so much as a huge and grotesquely decorated sarcophagus 
in the center of its frowning and menacing front was the device of a cat constructed out of black shingles and having white shingles for the eyes the effect being curiously realistic especially on moonlit nights when anything more lifelike and sinister could scarcely have been conceived the artist whoever he was had a more than human knowledge of cats he portrayed not merely their bodies but their souls footnote i have subsequently met several people who experienced the same phenomena in the house which was standing a short time ago End of footnote. in style the front of the house was somewhat castellated two semicircular bows or half towers placed at a suitable distance from each other rose from the base to the summit of the edifice to the height of four or five stairs and were pierced at every floor with rows of stone mullion windows the flat wall between had larger windows lighting the great hall gallery and upper apartments these windows were wholly composed of stained glass engraved with every imaginable fantastic design imps satires dragons witches queer-shaped trees hands eyes circles triangles and cats the towers half included in the building were completely circular within and contained the winding stairs of the mansion and whoever ascended them when a storm was raging seemed rising by a whirlwind to the clouds in the upper rooms even the wildest screams of the hurricane were drowned in the rattling clamor of the assaulted casements when a gale of wind took the building in front it rocked it to the foundations and at such times threatened its instant demolition midway between the towers there stood forth a heavy stone porch with a gothic gateway surmounted by a battlemented parapet made gable fashion the apex of which was garnished by a pair of dolphins rampant and antagonistic whose corkscrew tails seemed contorted especially at night by the last agonies of rage convulsed the porch doors stood open except in tremendous weather the inner ones were regularly shut and barred after all who entered they led into a wide vaulted and lofty hall the walls of which were decorated with faded tapestry that rose and fell and rustled in the most mysterious fashion every time there was the suspicion and often barely the suspicion of a breeze interspersed with the tapestry and in great contrast to its antiquity there were quite modern and very ordinary portraits of my family the general fittings and furniture both of the hall and house were sombre and handsome truss beams corbels girders and panels were of the blackest oak and the general effect of all this augmented if anything by the windows which were too high and narrow to admit of much light was much the same as that produced by the interior of a subterranean chapel charnel house from the hall proceeded doorways and passages more than my memory can now particularize of these portals one at each end conducted to the tower stairs others to reception rooms and domestic offices the whole of the house being too large for us only one wing the right and newer of the two was occupied the other was unfurnished and generally shut up i say generally because there were times when either my mother or father 
the servants never ventured there, forgot to lock the doors, and the handles yielding to my daring fingers, I surreptitiously crept in. Everywhere, even in daylight, even on the sunniest of mornings, were dark shadows that hung around the ingles and recesses of the rooms, the deep cupboards, the passages, the silent, winding staircases. There was one corridor, long, low, vaulted, where these shadows assembled in particular. I can see them now, as I saw them then, as they have come to me many times in my dreams, grouped about the doorways, flitting to and fro on the bare, dismal boards, and congregated in menacing clusters at the head of the sepulchral staircase leading to the cellars. Generally, and excepting at times when the weather was particularly violent, the silence here was so emphatic that I could never feel it was altogether natural, but rather it was assumed, especially for my benefit, to intimidate me. If I moved, if I coughed, almost if I breathed, the whole passage was filled with hoarse reverberating echoes that, in my affrighted ears, appeared to terminate in a series of mirthless, malevolent chuckles. Once, when fascinated beyond control, I stole on tiptoe along the passage, momentarily expecting a door to fly open and something grim and horrible to pounce out on me. I was brought to a standstill by a loud, clanging noise, as if a pail or some such utensil were set down very roughly on a stone floor. Then there was the sound of rushing footsteps and of someone hastily ascending the cellar staircase. In fearful anticipation as to what I would see, for there was something in the sounds that told me they were not made by anything human, I stood in the middle of the passage and stared. Up, up, up they came until I saw the dark, indefinite shape of something very horrid, but which I could not, I dare not, define. It was accompanied by the clanging of a pail. I tried to scream, but my tongue cleaving to the roof of my mouth prevented my uttering a syllable, and when I essayed to move, I found I was temporarily paralyzed. The thing came rushing down on me. I grew icy cold all over, and when it was within a few feet of me, my horror was so great I fainted. On recovering consciousness, it was some minutes before I summoned up courage to open my eyes, but when I did so, they alighted on nothing but the empty passage. The thing had disappeared. On another occasion, when I was clandestinely paying a visit to the unused wing, and was in the act of mounting one of the staircases leading from the corridor I have just described to the first floor, there was the sound of a furious scuffle overhead, and something dashed down the stairs past me. I instinctively looked up, and there, glaring down at me from the balustrade, was a very white face. It was that of a man, but very badly proportioned, the forehead being low and receding, and the rest of the face too long and narrow. The crown rose to a kind of peak, the ears were pointed and set very low down and far back. The mouth was very cruel and thin-lipped. The teeth were yellow and uneven. There was no hair on the face, but that on the head was red and matted. The eyes were obliquely set, pale blue, and full of an expression so absolutely malignant that every atom of blood in my veins seemed to congeal as I met their gaze. 
i could not clearly see the body of the thing as it was hazy and indistinct but the impression i got of it was that it was clad in some sort of tight-fitting fantastic garment as the landing was in semi-darkness and the face at all events was most startlingly visible i concluded it brought with it a light of its own though there was none of that lurid glow attached to it which i subsequently learned is almost inseparable from spirit phenomena seen under similar conditions for some seconds i was too overcome with terror to move but my faculties at length reasserting themselves i turned round and flew to the other wing of the house with the utmost precipitation one would have thought that after these experiments nothing would have induced me to have run the risk of another such encounter yet only a few days after the incident of the head i was again impelled by a fascination i could not withstand to visit the same quarters in sickly anticipation of what my eyes would alight on i stole to the foot of that staircase and peeped cautiously up to my infinite joy there was nothing there but a bright patch of sunshine that in the most unusual fashion had forced its way through from one of the slits of windows near at hand after gazing at it long enough to assure myself it was only sunshine i quitted the spot and proceeded on my way down the vaulted corridor just as i was passing one of the doors it opened i stopped terrified what could it be bit by bit inch by inch i watched the gap slowly widen at last just as i felt i must either go mad or die something appeared and to my utter astonishment it was a big black cat limping painfully it came towards me with a curious gliding motion and i perceived with a thrill of horror that it had been very cruelly maltreated one of its eyes looked as if it had been gouged out its ears were lacerated whilst the paw of one of its hind legs had either been torn or hacked off as i drew back from it it made a feeble and pathetic effort to reach me and rub itself against my leg as is the way with cats but in so doing it fell down and uttering a half purr half gurgle vanished seeming to sink through the hard oak boards that evening my youngest brother met with an accident in the barn at the back of the house and died though i did not then associate his death with the apparition of the cat the latter shocked me much for i was extremely fond of animals i did not dare venture in the wing again for nearly two years when next i did so it was early one june morning between five and six and none of the family saving my father who was out in the fields looking after his men were as yet up i explored the dreaded corridor and staircase and was crossing the floor of one of the rooms i had hitherto regarded as immune from ghostly influences when there was an icy rush of wind the door behind me slammed too violently and a heavy object struck me with great force in the hollow of my back with a cry of surprise and agony i turned sharply around and there lying on the floor stretched out in the last convulsions of death was the big black cat 
maimed and bleeding as it had been on the previous occasion. How I got out of the room, I don't recollect. I was too horror-stricken to know exactly what I was doing, but I distinctly remember that, as I tugged the door open, there was a low, gleeful chuckle, and something slipped by me and disappeared in the direction of the corridor. At noon that day, my mother had a seizure of apoplexy and died at midnight. Again, there was a lapse of years, this time nearly four, when sent on an errand for my father, I turned the key of one of the doors leading into the empty wing, and once again found myself within the haunted precincts. All was just as it had been on the occasion of my last visit, gloom, stillness, cobwebs reigned everywhere, whilst permeating the atmosphere was a feeling of intense sadness and depression. I did what was required of me as quickly as possible, and was crossing one of the rooms to make my exit, when a dark shadow fell athwart the threshold of the door, and I saw the cat. End of Part 1, Chapter 1